Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then, let's get to it. Today's theme is a juicy one. We're talking about media mayhem. Truth, Lies, Perception, and the Pursuit of Happiness. My first guest is Professor Judy K. Burgoon. Judy K. Burgoon is a professor of communication, family studies, and human development at the University of Arizona in the great USA, where she is director of research for the Center for the Management of Information. Previously, Professor Burgoon has served on the faculties of Michigan State University, University of Oklahoma, and University of Florida and was appointed as a distinguished scholar at Harvard University. Her latest research award from the Department of Defense will develop sociocultural attitudinal networks. She has been identified as the most prolific female scholar in the field of communication in the 20th century, and I'm hoping Dr. Burgoon will help us suss out the truth here. Welcome, Professor Burgoon. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Let's talk about it. Let's just jump right into it. What the heck is the truth anyway? Well, that's that's a tough subject. I mean, you can talk about what is uh, objective reality that many of us believe is the truth. And in our research, we call it ground truth, what we really know to be the case. And then there are people's perceptions of the truth. So the, the truth is uh, probably what you believe can be corroborated, verified, uh, it's easiest when it's something like you see a bus coming towards you, uh, but it's a little different when you're being told there's a, a red or blue political wave. Now we get into perceptions. Interesting. And, you know, I've always been told that there are three sides to a story. Is that true? Uh, what would be the three sides you're talking about? <laughs> so mine, yeah, yours, <laughs> yeah, 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 or or mine, yours, and and then the reality out there. I, I mean, I yeah, don't know the objective third party. Well, uh, often that makes sense because 
we do have uh, perceptual filters and our own experiences, the context in which we see or hear something certainly colors what we believe to be true, which is why uh, in a lot of cases, uh, you know, in in the legal system, there is a need to go out and get corroborating evidence before someone declares, for instance, somebody's innocent or guilty. So when when we're trying to suss out whether or not we are being given accurate information or somebody is telling us the truth, how do we know? Is it simply a coin toss? Are we activating intuition? How do we believe what someone is telling us? Well, the difficulty is that in terms of people really being accurate to detect if someone's lying, the research indicates that we're about 54% accurate, which means it's about equivalent to a coin toss. And part of it is because we focus on the wrong cues, the the tells, if you will. Part of it is we rely on gut instinct, and some people's guts are smarter than others. Part of it is we've been perhaps taught to focus on the one giveaway indicator, like most people believe the eyes or the window to the soul. And that's actually true around the world. If you ask people, how do you judge if someone's lying to you? They'll tell you the eyes, but the research tells you the eyes are not a good indicator. Tell us what it is. (laughs) Well, there there are many things that are, but we don't tend to rely on them. For instance, you're much better off listening to someone's voice than trying to pay attention to their facial expressions or their eyes. But we're very visual. We're a visual culture. And so our attention is typically drawn first and foremost to the face. Well, the face is what people control. So, and people also think about controlling what they say. So we're not uh, we're not very smart if we pay attention to the content because they're going to manage that. But if we pay attention to the language they use, which they don't manage as well, that can also tell us some things. So I would say listening to the voice and paying attention to the way people construct things with their language, their linguistics, if you will, are better tells for us than the things we typically are drawn to. Interesting. So give an example of word choice or delivery. If somebody is clear and crisp in their delivery versus, you know, their voice is quivering, is that what you're speaking of or is it something else? Well, okay, here are some of the key things with the voice. Let's suppose you're doing an interview and someone has an abnormal delay in responding. That's often a tip-off. They're, they're busy thinking. Now, that can also be true if you ask somebody a very embarrassing or difficult question, they're being truthful. But a response delay is an indicator. A higher-pitched voice. So if your voice starts to go up higher and gets a little squeakier, that can be an indicator. In fact, that's a very good one with the, the pitch increase. Hesitation within speech. Uh, one of the things people do that's kind of a combination of voice and language If they repeat the question you've asked, that's kind of a stalling technique. And instead of just this long, dead silence, they filled the silence with the repeat of the question, buying them time to to figure out what they're going to say. 
Those are giveaways. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I'm flashing to our news in the climate oh, yeah. that we're living in today and everything that's going on in the news and, and, and in the media. And we see government officials being asked questions and the deflection techniques that are being used, the redirection mm-hmm. techniques, the body language, which is yeah. another one too, right? Yes. And those, so those are, are ones to look for. But, you know, people have often been rehearsed. And so you have to be careful to not be taken in by the things that they have rehearsed. Some of the body language, if now we're talking about body language, like things like posture and gestures and hand movements. Here again, people are often looking for the wrong signs. When people are lying, they often suppress their movement. They become more inhibited. And it's partly because they don't want anything to give them away. It's like the poker player who's trying to maintain the complete poker face and poker body, but they overdo it. So the overkill in itself can give them away. Uh, But those things are not necessarily as helpful as some of these other indicators uh, like the voice rather than paying attention to what somebody has rehearsed. There's some other things linguistically that people might do. Let's suppose I'm talking to you about something I did or didn't do. Um, I could be telling you all the run-up to it, and I'm using the first-person pronoun, and then I get to the event, and all of a sudden, there are no pronouns about what I'm talking about. I've kind of got into passive voice, saying, well, everybody was doing this on Saturday night, not what did I do on Saturday night? No, Saturday night was when people went out salsa dancing. Well, uh, now you don't know what I did, right? It's gotten a little vague. And that's one of the kind of maneuvers people might use. Uh, But typically, people's language will become a little less complex, more simple, because they tend to start to repeat the same words they've used. Their mind is partly having to figure out, okay, am I going to tell the truth or am I going to lie? If I'm going to lie, what's that lie going to look like? Uh, How's that going to match up with what I've said before? There's a lot of mental work that has to go into that. And so that leads people to use perhaps simpler language, or they go into a lot of this kind of obfuscating language. Politicians are very good at this, where you pile phrase upon phrase upon phrase, and by the time they get done, you know they filled the airwaves. Yeah, but what exactly did they say? <laughs> they've, they've well, they've spun our heads around. The obfuscation of the yeah. truth is probably a hallmark of of many politicians. And how does that speak to us as a nation? And what I mean by that is, how can we educate or encourage a new generation of leadership where the truth really matters? Well, of course, that question goes beyond <laughs> some of the things I could, you know, that's a that's a full day discussion. How do we do that? But there are some things that we need to get people to, first of all, be committed to an objective truth. And that's that's a key to have them at least uh, recognize what counts as facts, what counts as evidence, what's the difference between an assertion 
that's not backed by evidence and something where someone backs up what they're saying with some kind of facts or observations. And in this day and age, we see politicians just banging the drum off and repeating things and relying on those cognitive heuristics to get us to jump on a bandwagon without really doing the hard work of thinking about what's being said. Is it even plausible what's being said? (laughs) And I'm laughing because so much that is being said in the media today is perfectly implausible. Implausible. Like, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Right. And and if people would just engage their plausibility meter, (laughs) they might say, well, wait just just a minute. Common sense tells me maybe, just maybe that's unlikely. And, you know, things move so fast and that people keep hearing things repeatedly. They just don't even take the time to stop and reflect. We're going to need to take a break. But to learn more about Professor Judy K. Burgoon, please go to researchgate.net. And her profile is Judy, J-U-D-E-E underscore Burgoon. And that's B-U-R-G-O-O-N. And on Facebook, she's at Judy.Burgoon. We're going to continue with this fascinating subject of truth, lies, perception, and the pursuit of happiness. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Just a minute. Before we go to the break, I want to ask you a super important question about your sleep habits. I ask because it's been scientifically proven that getting a good night's sleep will absolutely contribute towards happiness and well-being. So here's my question. Are your bed linens deliciously soft and inviting restorative Zs each night? Recently, I discovered the most comfortable sheets that don't break my bank, made by Brooklinen, the fastest-growing bedding brand in the world. I've been snuggled in Brooklinen sheets for the past few weeks and am now an official fan. Good Housekeeping named Brooklinen winner of the best online bedding category. Brooklinen's mission is to bring insanely good five-star quality sheets direct to you at prices that won't keep you up at night. This means all the comfy thread count and stylish design without the high prices, middlemen, or markup. Brooklinen.com is giving my show listeners an exclusive offer. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code HARVESTING at Brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so sure you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all their sheets and comforters. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use the promo code HARVESTING at brooklinen.com. Once again, that's brooklinen.com and the promo code HARVESTING. Go ahead and make your bedroom your sleep sanctuary with brooklinen.com, the best sheets ever. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code HARVESTING. Now here comes the break. We'll be right back, and that's a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if... Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? 
having too many responsibilities, not having enough money, enough time, enough space. The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we're talking about something that we all need to be more on top of. And that is truth, lies, perception, and the pursuit of happiness. My guest today is Professor Judy K. Burgoon. And she is a professor of communications, family studies, and human development at the University of Arizona. She's also working on a very interesting project with the Department of Defense, which I'm going to talk with her about as we carry on the conversation. But Dr. Burgoon, I want to also ask you about technology. Where has the advancement in technology improved our ability to detect truth and lies, apart from the, the polygraph? Well, I think people have really jumped in trying to find what technologies might work. And I think a lot of them are in the development stage right now to know what actually is accurate, reliable, helpful, can be used in some kind of a reasonable way. For instance, there's some work that people are doing with the functional uh MRI that you would have to put people in the magnetic tube. That's not very uh, feasible. So some of the technologies people are looking at are ones, for instance, that they don't have to put you in any tubes or hook you up with any wires, what we call non-contact technologies. So for instance, watching people's blink rate, uh, one can do that with some cameras that actually will measure blinks at up to 250 frames per second. Wow. And at that rate, yeah, they can pick up some fairly minute changes when people are lying. There are things related to facial expressions where only part of the face shows the expression or not. And that has to be done then with a, a camera using computer vision techniques that can pick up these changes. For instance, I thought this was a really interesting uh, project that uh, Leanne Tenbrink and Stephen Porter did where they got the videos of these women and uh, men who have pleaded for their lost children. And in some cases, they were the ones that killed the children who were missing. Ooh. And so they, so they have the tapes. Some of those are legit and some of them are not. And they found that when the people were uh, lying, because they already knew the children were dead, right? Their eyes did not show the proper sadness expression. 
or their mouth might show a slight smirk expression. So there are little things that we probably couldn't pick up with the naked eye. So there's, there's that, that you can pick up with some computer vision techniques. There are techniques that are working on the voice. Uh, we have a technology we're trying to develop that will combine a lot of different modalities. So eyes, face, voice, but also the language. Uh, so you can process what people say and see if there are tip-offs also what they say. Now, with a polygraph, if people are just doing yes, no, we're not going to get much out of their language. <laughs> uh, but if, if you have people answering longer questions, there's the opportunity there to also sort of mine what they have said. So that's our, our approach is to try and put a lot of different technologies together and see if we will get a higher accuracy rate. We think we can. Uh, but you have to make sure that you know under which context which things work. For example, if I'm trying to take you through security screening and I've only got 10 seconds uh, to decide whether to pass you through or send you over for more questioning, I have different technologies I might need to use than if I'm doing uh, an employment interview and I have you for a half hour or an hour. So different situations call for for different technologies. So that's that's the kind of thing that's being developed now. Well, and, and I think when we're talking about this media mayhem and judging for oneself what we as individuals believe to be the truth, or maybe what we're just choosing to believe, there is no substitute for critical thinking and discernment and asking questions and. And, and and talking about it because at the end of the day, when we look, if you were to if you were to poll everybody in America and ask them what they want, I think most of our answers would be pretty consistent with one another, right? We want to have you know a good job, a roof over our head, food on our table, some sense of financial security, healthcare, basic needs being met, and we're all so fractured because of our views and what we think the truth is when the truth is not the truth. I have a question about um, truth as it relates to someone's psychopathology. So in other words, if somebody is truly a sociopath or a narcissist, and I'm not talking about somebody who exhibits those tendencies, but who really is that, mm -hmm. where does the truth fit in the equation? Does it even exist? For them, truth is whatever they can manipulate. Yeah. Uh, they do not have a commitment to the truth at all. They're very manipulative people and they're often very slick, very difficult to determine when they're lying and when they're telling the truth. This is one of the most difficult things if somebody has any tendencies toward sociopathy or psychopathy that we are hard pressed to figure out when they're telling the truth and when not. These people can become very slick liars. Same thing with the narcissist. They're often uh, just manipulating the truth or, for their own benefit. So, uh, and they, I, I don't know enough about the psychology of it to know if, if they tell the lies enough times and they come to believe it themselves, and they may, uh, but you'd have to ask somebody who's uh, a clinical psychologist that question. <laughs> I'm not one of those. Yeah, it's just interesting to think about. And, and we do know that um, people who are high profile 
uh, enjoy or, or possess a certain amount of narcissism within their character because it is what helps drive them to achieve their goals. So a certain amount of this is, is part of the personality makeup that helps people be successful. And then it can tip into the danger zone where the moral compass is completely corrupted. Right. And I wouldn't say, you know, there are a lot of high profile people who are certainly have an ego, but they are not necessarily narcissistic. So there's a whole checklist of things that goes with being narcissistic. And I would say there are probably a number of high profile people who are what we would consider uh, more assertive, more dominant personalities, uh, but not necessarily uh, scaling on the narcissism scale. So uh, we wouldn't necessarily want to ascribe narcissism to all those people who are more powerful individuals. I agree. Uh, But when you're a powerful individual, there usually is a fair amount of egotism that goes with that. And they tend to be more dominant. There's some research that suggests, and it's both men and women, higher testosterone, more um, exhibitionist in personality. And so there are a number of things that can go with that. It's pretty interesting (laughs) as a whole line of research. Uh, So for them, though, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have lost a moral compass or that they can't tell truth from deception. Point well taken. This seems really interesting. And where do we as Americans measure up on the truth meter? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. And this will, this is to be continued. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And we, of course, we don't think we're just starting. We just had people come on this week from Hong Kong. So we won't have the answer to that question quite yet. But uh, we have a lot of data already in pocket from the three universities where we collected data here in the States. So we will be able to do some comparisons and see what what it looks like between here and, say, uh, Israel, where they are very direct in their communication style. And I understand they were quite active in the game. And we might just learn a lot even about the communication patterns, forgetting the deception part between, say, the U.S. and, and Israel or Zambia or the Asian countries where we collected. Fiji is one of the places we collected, and I suspect our communication patterns might be a lot different than Fiji. Yeah. And the truth. We'll find out. The truth may have more meaning in Fiji than it does here. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or Or it might be done more subtly. Yeah. Oh, good point. We we are we we are going to need to wrap for today to learn more about okay. the work of Dr. Judy K. Burgoom. Please visit um the website, which is a little bit unique. It's www.researchgate.net, and you'll want to go to profile. And Dr. Burgoon's profile is Judy J U D E E underscore Burgoon B U R G O O N. And on Facebook, you can find her at Judy dot Burgoon. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. We've got more exciting guests on this theme today. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. 
Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, you are in for a treat. I had really a wonderful conversation with Judge Janine Pirro about her new book. And many of you know Judge Janine Pirro from Fox News, but she's in the house with me today. And you might listen and and hear a different side to her. Welcome, Judge Janine Pirro. Judge Janine, I'm really excited to talk with you because Although you and I may have separate opinions and perspectives of what the hell is going on, but we're human and having a conversation about our similarities and our differences to me is super important and really follows the theme of what America is founded on, you know, the right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Well, there's no question about it. Look, I mean, America is founded as a country where everyone's beliefs are tolerated and accepted. And, you know, our forefathers left England and they left family, fame and fortune so that they could start a nation where freedom of speech and freedom of religion are are sacrosanct. And, you know, thus the, the, you know, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution. And I think what we're seeing in America today and what I write about in my book is, you know, a total obstruction of all of that. You know, when we see people saying you can't speak about the right or, you know, conservatism, then we're seeing people shut down conversation. I am happy to listen to anyone on the left or, you know, in the middle. Uh, I have spent my life in the pursuit of justice and truth and justice. But I've also spent my life respecting law and order. And when we are in a situation where others' opinions can't be tolerated, it leads to something that I've never seen before. And, you know, I've been around a long time. I've been a prosecutor, (laughs) judge, and DA for over three decades. You know, um, as you say, I've won an Emmy. And my book, Liars and Leakers, is number one on the New York Times bestsellers list. You know, I, I believe in conversation. You know, as a judge, you listen to both sides and you objectively make a decision. But what's happening in this country is um, an example that is allowing people to say they've been triggered, uh, which is a verb I've never used used or heard of, triggered, and therefore they're, they're allowed to shut you down. They're allowed to scream at you. I've been on campuses of universities where people have screamed at me and told me, you know, that I was a fascist. I'm not a fascist. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm someone who believes in justice. And, and I've been a believer my whole life. The lady justice is blind. And we've got to continue to talk. And it yes. hasn't been happening. And, 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 you know, while we're not a political show, we do talk about all things that contribute to personal happiness and well-being. And that as humans, we're driven by the needs for stability, safety, security and freedom. You know, all of these things make us happy as individuals and be able to become actualized. And I think what you're saying about the conversation and, and feeling shut down is that when we feel as though our security could be compromised, we go into fear mode, and hence the triggering. Yeah, interesting. You know, and I never heard the word snowflakes either, um, but this triggering, when you feel that, you know, your your safety, your security, and, and therefore your, you know, you, you react, and, and, and many times in a violent way, 
I mean, I spent my life in pursuit of justice, and the laws are very clear. You may be triggered in your own psyche, but that doesn't allow you to commit a crime or to be violent against another individual. Those are the laws upon which this nation was founded. You do not assault someone. You do not throw someone out of a building at ABC because you don't like what they're saying. And, you know, I would never do it. And it was it happened to me. And, you know, I didn't respond. I went on my show and I said, you know, we've got to start talking. And my show, I'm, you know, I'll admit to you, it is a very, you know, hard edged and, and straightforward kind of in your face uh, with my sense of what's going on. But at the same time, I respect the ability of other people to do and say what they want. And when I was shut down, that's when I realized we've got a real problem now. Well, I think there's a problem, but it's also an invitation to a solution. Because from my view, which, you know, is different than yours, I want to know more. Like, I want to see the world through your glasses. Because when I understand where you're coming from, when I'm able to put myself in your shoes... I see that at the end of the day, we're both moms. We want the best for our children and our grandchildren and our yet-to-come great-grandchildren. And that's where empathy and compassion get activated. Well, and I agree with you. I mean, and I've said this so many times as a prosecutor and a judge, look, all we want in America is for everyone to have a level playing field. All we want is for people to be able to put food on the table, take care of their family, and not worry that someone is coming, you know, to rob us or murder us. Or and, and understand, I've been in the trenches where the fight between good and evil unfolds every day. I have seen the ugliest side of life, the pain that people go through for no reason. And that's why I, I am a fighter, and I have fought my whole life to protect the silent victim of crime, the person who never asked to be in the criminal justice system in the first place. So we can all try to be happy. And, and, and I, I love to laugh. I mean, you want to talk about happy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a happy camper. But I'm You are a, a hearty woman, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried. You know, I worry for you and I worry for me. And we just have to get back to being the country where freedom of speech is respected and honored and where no one feels that they have the right to shut another person down. <laughs> Let, and I have a cold, and you can hear my voice. And I, <laughs> but um, I, I want very much for there to be a conversation, and that's why you know I went on the View last week. I wanted, I was invited. I wanted a conversation, and it ended up not being a conversation, and that's just not fair to anyone. Well, I think that taps into one's ability to self-regulate, and people are very fired up. And I, in, in my view, yeah, no pun intended, they're fired up because. The meaning of truth, the definition of truth has gotten a little squirrely, right? So the truth is defined as a fact or belief that is accepted as true and in accordance with realities. And and feelings are not facts. And I think this is where we're getting a little bit uh, wishy-washy, yeah. right? Yeah. That, um, you know, it's interesting. Feelings are not facts. You're, you're absolutely correct. And that's why in my book, Liars, Leakers, and Liberals, I connect the dots and I put those everything that I say. I'm trying to make it factual. And you and your definition uh, of, of, of fact is, is excellent. I mean, truth, fact, I mean, reality, that's, that's the world we have to deal in. And there's no reason why we can't deal in it and be happy campers at the same time. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, but the thing is, people are are feeling unhappy. They're riled up there. And the unhappiness comes from, I think, the, the, the truth being blurred, a sense of fear and uncertainty um, of uh, our entitlements, what we have, what the future will bring. And and when we're in fear, we become stupid. Right. We have an inability <laughs> to argue well when we're in fear. Oh, that is so that is so accurate. I mean, it, it is accurate. When we're in fear, we can't argue rationally. And uh, I think that everybody needs to, you know, kind of take a deep breath. Uh, as I did on my show, Justice, on Saturday, and I said, hey, look, everybody, you know, we've got to we've got to be able to communicate again and talk and, and be able to be in a position where we forgive others and we move on. And that's what I did. Uh, and hopefully that's what Americans can do. Maybe not move on, but step back, take a deep breath. You know, uh, right now we're in a position where, you know, the economy is good and we can take care of our families and we are safe. And that is the number one thing that people concern themselves with. So, but, but, uh, but hang uh, on, but hang on one second. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here because this is where I think perception, um, our perceptions are different. There are many people who are don't feel that though the economy is good and putting more food on the table and money in the bank and they don't feel safe because they don't feel confident in in leadership and that's the conversation and and I think it's a good thing it's, I think it's okay be, to be riled up because what it's done for me and for many people is uh, allowed me to become more active to make sure that I encourage everybody around me to register to vote to get out and vote become active at a community level you know, where we can have impact and change, but complaining well, and whining question. doesn't work. Right. And, and, you know, you talk about truth being based in fact, the GDP is over four. In the last administration, they said that one was, you know, the, the new normal. Uh, there are more jobs in America than there are people to fill them. Those are the facts. You cannot deny them. Um, we now have, you know, manufacturing is coming back to the United States. I mean, that is a, you know, that is a fact. And uh, people can run around and say it's not true and all that. There are more people going off of food stamps. You know, people, Americans want to work. We're a hardy nation. We're a nation of people, you know, we, we started with a result of a revolution. Think about yes. that. And and therefore, you know, people want to work. They don't want to rely on the government. And uh, that's the case. Those are the facts. So um, I just hope that everybody takes a deep breath and we all, you know, continue to communicate and be able to talk to each other rationally and talk about the facts and truth and justice, which is why I wrote my book. But but <laughs> I am here's, losing here's, my here's, voice again. Yeah. Well, ahead, I mean, and the book, it, it, I want to just give it one more plug. The book that we're talking about is Liars, Leakers and Liberals, The Case Against the Anti-Trump Conspiracy. But I want I want to ask you a question about critical thinking and discernment, because I think this is lacking uh, uh, for many people. We have the media on both sides that is feeding a whole lot of stuff to us 24 seven. There's no pause. There is no breath. And people don't know who and what to believe. And this is where critical thinking and discernment must come into play. Right, right. Well, there's no question about that. I mean, and that's why, um, you know, you've got you've to know the facts. And, and you know what? I listen to every station. I don't listen to one station. I listen to what everyone says. And to me, that's the best way to say, all right, Janine, here's a problem. 
there's a, there's a question of fact here. Let's get to the bottom of it. So hopefully everyone will do that as we go forward and, you know, continue. And I very much appreciate you and your show. I appreciate your approach to this because it is so needed. And I appreciate the opportunity to even be on your show. Oh, well, c- come back and hang out with me. We, we, maybe we can talk more about this. <laughs> to learn more about Judge Deneen Pirro's work, please visit her website, judgedeneenpirro.com. You can find her on Fox News. And on Twitter, she's at Judge Deneen. And on Facebook, Judge Janine Pirro. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities, not having enough money, enough time, enough space, the list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're continuing on our theme of media mayhem, truth, lies, perception, and the pursuit of happiness. My next guest is a Pulitzer Prize winning investigative reporter and bestselling author, David K. Johnston has lectured on reporting techniques, tax policy, and ethics on every continent except Antarctica. Johnston is known for his skill at explaining complex economic, law enforcement, and tax issues, for which he was awarded a Pulitzer Prize in 2001. Long before it was a kitchen table topic, Johnston was documenting America's growth income inequality and exposing subtle government policies that create wealth and want. And he's got a book, and that's entitled It's Even Worse Than You Think, What the Trump Administration is Doing to America. Welcome, David K. Johnston. Thanks for joining us on the show. Well, thank you for having me, Lisa. Well, the topic of media mayhem has been a kitchen table discussion almost ad nauseum. And I want to talk with you about your perspective of what the hell's going on. Well, there's a number of forces that are at work here, and you have to go back a little bit in time, I think, to understand them. During the era when newspapers were flush with money, when as an L.A. Times national correspondent, I flew first class and my annual expense account was bigger than my salary, newspapers, under the idea of professionalizing, began to write in a manner that was much more bureaucratic. And a simple way to explain that is that if, if, I, if I were still at the New York Times and I had to write an obit uh, right now, if somebody's life uh, 
was dominant in the 50s, 60s, even the 70s, I could, from the clips, quickly write an obituary because it would have their exact titles and positions and you could trace their life. But if you had to do it today, you would read about someone who would say, you know, as a senior member of the Obama administration or as an advisor to uh, uh, President Bush, and you would have less precise detail and more sort of painting a larger picture. There's a place for that, but it became too much too um, dominant in the news. Secondly, starting in the 60s and really ramping up in the late 90s and in this century, there has been a long sustained attack on the major serious news organizations. In large part, it's come from the right. Groups like uh, Media Matters, Newsbusters, uh, uh, long ago Reed Irvine's Accuracy in Media, but it's also come from groups on the left. And the result of that has been to spread all sorts of cynicism and distrust. And then it, when the income to news organizations fell precipitously, um, news organizations had smaller staffs and they shifted towards access news. Some of that's always been there and always will be, but more access news and less coverage institutions uh, covering government, for example, rather than politics. And all of those things together uh, have led to, uh, I think, a lot of the problem we have today. And then along comes cable television and the Internet, and suddenly you have 500 channels. And that's one reason in the entertainment side you will see these incredible cheap-to-produce, quote-unquote, reality shows uh, and not very many high-quality dramas unless you have the money to pay for cable TV, things like HBO and Showtime. Mm -hmm. So I think there are a whole bunch of forces that are at work. And, and as people read less and they feel more estranged from government, there's a lot of discussion in this country which operates on the assumption that government's a power unto itself. You can't do anything about it, which I, I, I'm appalled by. That's also weakened the influence. And one of the most important things we've lost in all that is sort of the policing power and position of the fourth estate. Years ago, I remember sitting down with a colleague of mine, George Anastasia, when I was at the Philadelphia Inquirer with a New Jersey state senator. And we'd come to interview him about something. And we were all done. And we were in his nice, you know, painted lady law office house. He was obviously very prosperous. He said to me, he said, you know why I never took money? And I said, excuse me? He said, you didn't ask this, but, you know, I've never taken a, a dime. And I'll tell you why. I knew that George, the other reporter, George would find out about it. George would ruthlessly expose me, even though I think of us as friends. And he would see me off to prison, and I would lose my money and my family and my dignity. And it's because of every time I was tempted, and trust me, if you're a New Jersey State Senator, he said, you get tempted every day. I would just imagine George's face as I was put in handcuffs. <laughs> and I don't think people appreciate very much that role, that if, you're, if we're not watching the klepto politicians, the corrupt politicians, the corrupt business leaders, and we have, unfortunately, more of those than I'd like. Uh, they're a minority, but there's more than a few. You know, they prosper in this era where they're not operating with any fear that the press is going to be even know what they're doing, much less uh, get public support to act when they misbehave. Well, I think you say something really important about fear. 
because there's so much fear mongering going on and rabble rousing that it's almost like the best defense is an offense. So we never get to really learn the truth, which is where you come in. Well, you know, truth comes in many levels. All right. Journalists are in the business of giving you facts. And keep in mind that most journalism, not the kind of work that I do, but most journalism consists of accurately quoting what people in power or positions of authority say, and then accurately quoting what critics or people who have different perspectives on it have to say. In many cases, the journalists covering this don't have any deep understanding of the uh, uh, issues that are going on here. I mean, there are people who do blogs every day about the bad economics that appear in, of all places, the Wall Street Journal, (laughs) uh, which is, after all, a business publication. And if you don't engage in uh, seriously in the news and learn how to read it to understand you should read everything with a grain of salt it's you know been called the first rough draft of history and understand that you know you learn this much today and in a couple of days something else may happen and follow things along when things just pop up seemingly out of nowhere especially if you're not putting in you know 20 minutes to an hour every day on the news then you know, you you don't have context for things. And there are people who make a very good living left, right, and actually in the middle, exploiting that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a business model for them. I think that's why this topic has really gotten under my skin. You know, it's like, how do we know what the truth is? And unless you're willing to invest some time and energy trying to suss it out for yourself... We tend because we get a little bit emotionally or mentally lazy. I'm not even going to talk about emotions, just mentally lazy that the first image that we see or the first bit of news that we hear, we accept as truth or gospel. And that's not the case. Well, one of the founders, I think it was Thomas Jefferson, said that, you know, the first duty of a citizen is to be informed and engaged in their government. Yes. And, you know, in the, in the last presidential election, we had roughly 100 million people who didn't even bother to vote. 18 to 21 year olds. I'm of the generation of people who were fighting to get the vote for 18 year olds. I didn't because of when my birthday fell get to vote till I was 22. But here's this group that in the 60s and early 70s said, hey, you know, if you're old enough to be drafted and killed, you ought to be old enough to vote. Yeah. And unfortunately, what happened? Well, those people are really have not been voting much. They're the demographic least likely to vote. Yes. Got it. But I do think that the tides are turning. I am the the parent of two yes. young adults and I talk to my own kids and my kids' friends and I and I'm getting a, a read from them that they have an understanding that it is their moral and civic duty to vote because you, if you do not vote, then you are part of the problem. Right. And and I think there is quite an awareness of that. I think that two big events happened. The election of Donald Trump has obviously, and it's currently in the news, woken up a whole bunch of people who think that his getting into office has been a major mistake and are appalled by a lot of what's going on. Eight years ago, or I guess now it's uh, 10 years ago, the election of Barack Obama woke up a bunch of people who were shocked that a black man was president of the United States. (laughs) And so, you know, we've had two big, sharp reactions to presidential elections, but in both cases, I think it's a good thing that people are more involved and that there is more discussion about things that are happening. Now, you asked a question a minute ago. I, I didn't quite fully finish. On, I want to make sure because you brought it up again. How do you know something's reliable? Well, news organizations, first of all, that make mistakes, correct them. Uh, you know, there's an old saying 
uh, doctors uh, bury their mistakes. Lawyers see theirs off to jail. Only reporters sign theirs on the front page for everyone to read. And, you know, when the New York Times screws up, because everybody screws up, they correct it. I mean, when the Jason Blair scandal came along, we had a sociopath get loose in the newsroom who was making stuff up. um, And he got caught. They ran a 14,000-word Sunday front-page self-expose, and the two top editors of the paper, one of whom had nothing to do with this, were fired. They weren't, you know, they didn't get severance packages or anything else. They were fired. Now, that's not what you see happen at most institutions. There are news organizations that that put out stuff that just isn't true. They get called on it, and Saturday Night Live makes fun of one of those news organizations, Fox News, uh, for this, and they will, you know, re- report something. There been, I saw one study, something false was reported, I think, from this uh, news organization, something like 60 times, and then they corrected it in a 5 a.m. newscast once. Wow. That's not really correcting the record. And in addition, you know, things as we understand them, they change, particularly when you're writing about issues like national security, where you're not dealing generally with named sources. And it's incredibly expensive, requires incredibly deep knowledge of all sorts of sophisticated things, and where you can get played by the national security people. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's very interesting because I think you said something really important uh, that a reputable organization will publish a correction, will clarify, and um, maybe that's something that is the average consumer we need to be more aware of. When we, when we are consuming our news diet. Yeah. And, you know, it, it is, I mean, I think that's the, the important thing. I, there's a phrase I use all the time when somebody says, I wrote something and it's not true. And I post, you know, if you can show any factual error, send me the uh, stuff you have that this, that what you think is so isn't so. I will promptly and forthrightly correct. And I've done that for the whole 52 years I've been a journalist, starting out when I was a teenager writing on the front page of the San Jose Mercury as a staff writer. Wow. We are out of time. I want to send our listeners over to your website. So if you want to, if you want to follow the work that I and the people I work with as volunteers, it's DC Report, singular, dcreport.org. We're a nonprofit, non-advertising, public service news organization. We cover what the government does, not what the politicians say. And my Twitter handle is David, C-A-Y-J, David, C-A-Y-J. And on Facebook, David K, right? David K, David C-A-Y. David C-A-Y. And the book that we didn't really get to talk about, but it is out there for the reading, and I do recommend reading it, is It's Even Worse Than You Think, What the Trump Administration is Doing to America. Thank you, David. Thank you. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my three incredible guests today, Professor Judy K. Burgoon, Judge Janine Pirro, and David K. Johnston, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. 
Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of Consciously Curated Talk Radio from the Heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.